Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to Golic and Smitty. I'm Mike Golick. I'm Jessica Smetana. Welcome to another edition of Golick and Smitty. Mike Golick Sr. here along with Jess Smetana. And Jess, man, we have a ton going on. I can't wait to talk to you about uh, F1 in Vegas coming up because I was just in Vegas calling the Jets and the Raiders game a, what a week game. before. Yeah, what a game. <laughs> Don't get me started. We'll, we'll talk about NFL, but that'll be on the back burner. The NFL was so exciting, <laughs> unfortunately. But F1 going on in Vegas, not what people are imagining it's going to be. We will, uh, we'll get to that, but a ton happening in college football and not on the field uh, at all. We'll certainly get to what happens on the field because as the taping of this, there is the third installment of the college football playoff, the rankings. And from all, all of it looks, it's going to be the exact same as the first two weeks, but we'll get into that. First off the field, my son Mike for Learfield called the Texas A&M-Mississippi State game, which Texas A&M destroyed Mississippi State in that game. And after the game, both coaches end up getting fired, both Jimbo Fisher for Texas A&M and Zach Arnett uh, for Mississippi State. Let's let's start, though, with with Jimbo Fisher. I mean, Jess, I don't know about you, but if if there is another president or AD, and I, and we'll get into the reasons why they do it, Offer another 10-year contract to anybody, they should be fired. Because they now owe Jimbo Fisher $76 million to not coach their school. And I understand the money's not going to come from the school. It's going to come from the oil-rich people, you know, down there, A&M alum. So maybe it's not that big a deal. But wow, what a what a failure for Jimbo Fisher coming over a few years ago from Florida State to Texas A&M. Did it not feel like the most inevitable thing in the world? Yes. I, when they offered the buyout, I think it's like it's like Schrodinger's buyout. When you hear that there's a, a $90 million buyout, remember that because it's going to come back up later. And I almost feel like, I mean, there's so many things we could talk about with this decision from Texas A&M and, and where Jimbo Fisher goes. But I'm almost like curious what the odds are now on who the next college football head coach will be to get one of these ridiculous buyouts because this did set a precedent in the college football head coaching market uh for guaranteed money buyouts of this level it has usurped it has it has passed every buyout you know previously by uh, exponentially it's so much money that it's even really even like hard to wrap your mind around. And and I think it's important to remember when we were talking about it, like, this is ridiculous. This is so much money. This is money that you could use for all sorts of good charitable contributions. But Jimbo Fisher will get this money to not coach at Texas A&M because after six seasons, I don't think there was a single time where I looked at Texas A&M and I said, yeah, that's a national champion. Like they can make the playoff. They can win a national championship. It's just been pretty disappointing. I mean, they've had good recruiting classes. They've hired some great coordinators, especially Mike Elko, who's now the head coach at Duke, got hired from uh, Notre Dame, did a great job there with the defense. But 
overall, it's been pretty disappointing. So I'm not surprised they didn't want to keep him. I mean, it's it kind of like a sunk cost fallacy thing, but the, the sunk cost here is $77 million. <laughs> I mean, it, it's unreal. 45 and 25 over six seasons, no appearances in the SEC championship game. And so obviously nothing in the uh, in the playoff picture either. His signature win was a couple of years ago when they beat Alabama in the regular season. And that's really been about a bit uh, about it. And you said it. You look at the top in ESPN's top 300 recruits. They got a lot of those guys over the years that have really panned out to nothing. So it's either the players weren't as good as the stars they got or like we have heard at Michigan uh, before Harbaugh got there. They're not developing the talent once you get it there. But we do see the NFL littered with Texas A&M players, so there does seem to be some talent there as well. So going back to when I said you you should be fired for giving a 10-year deal because of the buyout, unless, again, you don't ever have to worry about the buyout. If you have the alum that are going to pay the the, what. I've heard 76, 77, 72, whatever, 70 some million dollars. When that's not coming out of your school's purse, you don't care then, right? If you know when you sign this deal, if there is a big buyout that your alum, your rich alum are going to buy it out, I guess you have that as kind of the the landing net, right? That you're going to, it's a soft landing that says, okay, we can afford to do this because we're not getting stung on the back end. But if you're not sure of that and you may get stung, then it's a ridiculous thing to do. But if you have these rich oil alum like like they do that are going to pay this, you can get away with it. And you said the name because a lot of people will say, why do it now? You know, why do it in the middle of the season and disrupt things? Well, you're not really going to disrupt. You're going to have an interim head coach. You're going to keep everything basically the same. But And I forgot how the saying goes, but basically I've heard people say, if you're going to do something down the road, why not just do it now? And if they were going to get rid of him at the end of the year, and one of the reasons for it, Jess, was what if he made a little bit of a run? Because, oh, by the way, remember they won the game he got fired after. They smoked Mississippi State. Yeah, what if they wanted, <laughs> What if they went on a little bit of a run and started winning games, and then how do they justify firing him after that? So maybe it was just, you know what, we're just going to cut ties now because that's what we know we were going to do at the end of the year, and we don't want there to be any turmoil. Yeah, and I think because of the early signing period, the coaching carousel seems to creep up sooner and sooner every year because you don't want to get caught flat-footed around a heavy recruiting period in the sort of regular season, postseason for college football area, like that soft soft spot, I guess, in like early December. You don't want to get stuck without a coach. You don't want to get stuck not knowing what you're going to do next. And so I think the dominoes will start to fall in place now that there's been a few high-profile uh, firings like we could talk about Mississippi State, who also fired their head coach after this game, yeah. losing to Texas A and M. Um, so, I mean, it's it's the timing of it. I don't think is shocking to me at all, especially because coming into the season, I, Jimbo was already on the hot seat, and and there were a lot of people that were like, "But but the buyout, but the buyout." But they don't give him a buyout unless they are willing to use it at some point, unless they're willing to pay that out. And like you said, the boosters will cover a large percentage of it, but the school will also have to cover some of it. It's not an insignificant amount of money. And it's not like this is, say it's 77 million exactly. It's not like that's it. They still have to hire the next coach and pay for the next coach. And the boosters also ostensibly are on the hook for, you know, still donating money to the collective. It doesn't seem like they're going to run out of it anytime soon, but this is a, a, a massive sum of money that we're talking about. 
But at some point, do the people giving the money say, what are we giving the money for? You know, why not just go flush this money down the toilet? It's not going to anything good. So do these collectives or these people that would be giving a problem. money? Yeah. Does that start to dry up a little well, bit? Or I mean, it's it's a good question, but I don't think at Texas A&M there is any fear that that's going to happen. Yeah. This is a this is a university that hasn't won a national championship. They're still they were still willing to give Jimbo Fisher this amount of money, even though he had won one national championship with Florida State, right? With Jameis Winston, he had had a, a decent amount of success there. But I think there were still some question marks about. Jimbo Fisher's track record without someone like Jameis Winston, who was a generational talent at quarterback in that position. So uh, I, if they're willing to give this much money to Jimbo Fisher and make that splashy of a hire, given, you know, the expectations there are sky high. Like the, the fans expect a national championship, even though it has not happened in a while. I don't think that they're going to suddenly give up and be like, well, that was our that was our last yeah. chance. I don't think it's kind of like a University of Miami situation where they're giving Mario Cristobal all this money and they're like, well, it has to work out because we don't know how much how many resources we want to devote to football. Because as we saw in like the aughts in the 2010s, uh, Miami was not super committed to paying for a big time football program the way that Texas A&M clearly is. I'm not going to list them because the list is too long, but people check out the number of quarterbacks that have been under Jimbo Fisher since Jameis Winston and what has happened to them from transferring to not panning out to not playing. It's almost a list as long as Brown's quarterback since uh, the last time they were good. And you mentioned about championship level. Ross Bjork, their athletic director, said we're stuck in neutral. We're not in the championship conversation and something was not quite right about our direction and the plan. We should be relevant on the national scene. And and they're not. And the name Mike Elko, I believe, Jess, could be the name to go back. He is he has only been at Duke, what, the second year, his first year. He was the ACC coach of the year. He was having a really good year this year. Then Riley Leonard, his quarterback, hurt his ankle at the end of the Notre Dame game and he missed a couple games and then he's out had out again. He hurt his toe. So that really hurt him. But I think Elko has a really good standing as a coach and what he can do around the country would not shock me a bit if he ends up at, at AM. That seems like a, a solution that would make a lot of sense. And I do think the fan base really likes Mike Elko and and like liked him when he, you know, spent time at Texas AM as the defensive coordinator. He was also like, I, I think at the time one of the highest paid defensive coordinators in the country when yep. he was there. So they obviously thought very highly of him. Um I do wonder if they're going to want to pluck someone out of the SEC. I've heard, you know, Dan Lanning's name get thrown around because of the um, impressive job he's done at Oregon. And I, I saw that he kind of s- said, like, I want to stay at yeah. Oregon. And I imagine, uh, you know, that's what anyone would say <laughs> in that position, especially as they have championship aspirations for the rest of the season. So I guess we'll see. I mean, I, I've heard even people floating Deion Sanders as a potential uh, candidate, yeah, which would be, I mean, no matter who gets hired there, Texas A&M has one of the most unique college football cultures um, in a diehard fan base. No matter who you put there, it, you know, whether I felt this way about Jimbo too, I was like, well, this will be interesting. So I feel certainly that way going forward. But uh, yeah, the, other than other than Texas A&M, another big shakeup in the SEC West with Zach Arnett getting fired from Mississippi State this weekend. So we are already, the coaching carousel is in full swing. There's been coordinators fired head coaches fired. Penn State got rid of their coordinator after that 
Yeah, just like your sad, sad game. Well, they've had two sad ones. I mean, listen, when they lost to Ohio State, they never had over 240 yards, I think, in either one of those games. And God knows what a vertical pass looks like for Penn State. They just don't throw the ball downfield. Mike, I have actually a question for you as a football watcher and a talent evaluator, because I, when I watch games, like I don't have the background you have. I don't have the ability to break down plays the way that you can, but I can tell when I'm watching a game that is the offenses are struggling because the defense is playing amazingly. But I can tell when I'm watching a game where the offense is struggling because the offense doesn't have the ability to make any plays. It's not just contingent on like the defense, you know, tricking them or being able to stop them. And this Penn state team, I've now felt like I felt this way against Ohio state where I looked at some of the stats after the game and I'm like, well, the offense was pretty bland, but Ohio state's defense did play really well. And now watching them against Michigan, I'm like, well, the offense looked even worse, like truly terrible. And their quarterback looked really inaccurate. He looked totally stressed out the entire time uh, and they were not able to do anything and neither really was Michigan other than just run the ball 30 times in a row. Well, I mean, listen, these were the, the, we had a, a rare occurrence in the NFL and college in the NFL. We had the one and two defenses playing against one another, Cleveland and Baltimore. They were the top two defense that they played each other. Cleveland won that game. And in NCAA football, the one and two defenses in the country are Michigan and Penn state. So that was pretty wild. So you have to give a lot of credit here, certainly to the Michigan defense, right? But as we just mentioned, against Ohio State, two of the best teams in the Big Ten, Penn State wasn't able to really do anything. And Aller has a hell of an arm, right? He's a big kid with a strong arm. Their leading receiver, uh, Lambert Smith, has 52. uh, Keandre Lambert Smith has 52 receptions. Next closest is 26. So that's doubling up. So I look at it a little bit in the vein of, what kind of quarterback do you have in Aller? Can he get the ball downfield? Do you not have confidence, even if his receivers aren't getting separation, that he can't put it in the window, you know, that it needs to be? Because is, is it the lack of confidence for the coordinator to want to throw it downfield? Is it the lack of confidence for a quarterback in trying to throw it downfield? And we'll see. Yursich now, the, the coordinator, has been relieved of his play-calling duties as offensive coordinator. So we'll see if that changes at all, which would be too little too late since the two biggest games you had, you have lost Ohio State and Michigan. But I, I, I didn't like that system. Now, not all systems have you throwing sideway passes. The average is like six yards a throw, which is un- really, especially for college, amazingly low. Um, so a lot of it, I think, is what the quarterback sees downfield and either what he's taught to check to on second, third outlet type receiver, or he just doesn't have the confidence to try and, you know, plant his foot and just drill one down the field. Like anything else, it's normally a combination of things. We'll see if that offense now, as I said, too little, too late, looks any different with a different coordinator uh, calling the game. Uh, so we'll see where it goes. But uh, you mentioned Mississippi State firing their coach and Zach Garnett, which is odd because this is on the heels of, you know, the unfortunate passing of Mike Leach. So Arnett takes over, gets 10 games, right? 10 games and and that's it. Obviously their season wasn't going well, very well. They got destroyed in that game and he's gone already. So, you know, another change, you know, AD gets to bring in who he wants to bring in at this point. Yeah. And they have a new athletic director there too, who came from Oklahoma. And certainly when you're, when you're taking over a 
team like Mississippi State that is running a certain type of scheme, like running the air raid, they're recruiting to run that offense and then you try to change it, um, you, it's probably pretty hard to have success immediately, especially, you know, not being a front runner in the conference already. So I guess I guess where we are here now, Mike, the rankings will come out tonight, the third set of rankings. You don't expect the top four to change. Do you expect the order to change? Because I thought Georgia's dominant win, I mean, yeah. purely ass-kicking of Mississippi this weekend, who was ranked, I believe, ninth or 10th in last week's yeah. rankings, will probably give them a little bit of a boost, especially like as we, I think we talked about this last week, Notre Dame losing to Clemson, I think hurts Ohio state a lot yes. and seeing yeah. Penn state just be pretty weak offensively again, uh, doesn't really do much to bolster them or Michigan. So I could see maybe Georgia jumping up to the one spot. I could as well. And at the, and, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, right? Because the winner of, in all honesty, the winner of the Ohio state Michigan game will probably vault to number one, right? Even yeah. though Georgia is playing the tougher part of their schedule. Now I think they have Tennessee next a ranked team. So We'll and then, see. And then probably Alabama. Alabama's yeah. still sticking around. Like they they could they could be Georgia in the SEC championship yes. game, Mike. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jalen Milrow is playing some ball right now. Three touchdown passes, three touchdown runs. I mean, incredible where they have grown to. And Tommy Reese, their coordinator, who we know well and played with both my sons at Notre Dame, was Notre Dame's athletic coordinator, says they're starting to call plays they hadn't earlier in the season because Milrow is kind of growing into the position and being more comfortable as a thrower as well. So, yeah, I, I see maybe the order change. It wouldn't shock me if Georgia was on top. But still, it's going to play out because Michigan is going to play Ohio State. Uh, and we know probably in the Pac-12 game and maybe to decide the Heisman, Washington and Oregon, Mike Penix Jr. and Bo Nix will be playing in the Pac-12 championship if, if they continue the way they are. But, again, still off the field, the next situation – and the one that's just been dominating is Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. I mean, what's been going on there? Harbaugh sitting, waiting to see if their injunction was going to go through in time for him to be on the sideline at Penn State. It was not. Uh, it was It was actually filed, what, on Veterans Day, what was, when was celebrated Veterans Day. So there has to be a judge on call to decide something. But either way, you know, the the it wasn't a, it wasn't upheld, so he couldn't be on the sideline. I think there's a hearing this Friday that he is going to be at. But this whole situation, Jess, where uh, Petiti, the new uh, commissioner for the Big Ten, jumped in and said you're suspended for the rest of the regular season, so he can say I did something, but it doesn't affect the Big Ten championship game. Certainly won't affect the playoffs because the playoffs aren't even associated with the NCAA. We know the NCAA doesn't step in and do anything in a timely matter anyway. But just your thought now of where Michigan is, where Harbaugh is, and then Harbaugh coming out with the statement that he believes his team is America's team because they're like the victimized underdogs when he and his coaching staff are squirrely the ones that put them in this situation. 
Right. I mean, it's like, did anyone root for the Patriots after Spygate or Deflategate because they felt uh, represented by Bill Belichick and Tom Brady? I, I don't think so. I think that that's pretty much the antithesis of what a lot of fans feel right now. I think, I mean, I, I don't know. To me, it seems like most people find the entire thing hilarious and silly. And it did get funnier this weekend when the interim head coach, or the offensive coordinator, gave, yeah. gave a post-game press conference uh, or post-game interview to yeah. uh, Jenny Taft after the game in which he was crying and saying, like, we did this for you. We love you, man. And uh, to me, it was hilarious because now you have a situation where there's this coaching staff that they are so tight with one another that Harbaugh gets suspended and dudes are crying. They're wearing free Harbaugh shorts. Like, they're so tight with one another. But they're not tight enough to ever be like, hmm, what does that guy do when Connor Stallings is on the sideline? So they're, like, completely, like, we like Jim Harbaugh had like, we didn't know anything about it. We, we don't know anything here. There was a rogue actor, or at least that's what we're supposed to believe. Right. But like, yet they're all, they're all such a tight knit little family. Mike, I don't know which one I'm supposed to think right now, but it was, a so, it was a funny, funny post-game interview. So the bottom line is the head coach, whether we want to believe they are or not, is responsible for knowing everything that goes on in their program. And that's why it falls on Harbaugh. And, and not anybody else at this point and why he was suspended by the Big Ten. And Friday, that may be overturned and he may be back on the sideline. Their last two games are against, uh, what is it, Maryland and then Ohio State before you get to the Big Ten championship game. Let me ask you this. Mike, my, my son Mike disagreed vehemently with me. Now, I'm not saying the majority of the country, but I know I found myself doing this. And I wonder if you or you think other college football fans may as well. This is grown-ups doing stuff wrong and kids being penalized. And I use the word kids in quotation because that's what we call college athletes. Even though they're young men and young women, we call them kids, right? Especially when we're comparing it to the NFL. Because you talk about the flight gate, you talk about spy gate, but you're talking about professional athletes. And you're talking about the flight gate with a player actually in Tom Brady. Was he involved or not? Plus, these are pro athletes getting paid well, even though college kids are getting paid now as well. But it's professional versus college. I think there are some around the country that are actually rooting for Michigan. The players. Because the players, people are saying, here's grownups screwing it up for the players to where because Jim Harbaugh bought a kid a, a burger in a bad time, he sat for three games, which is NCA, which is ridiculous. But players supposedly get penalized because their head coach isn't on the sideline. Here's a guy with a great porn name and Connor Stallions and a coaching staff stealing signs. Coaches doing something wrong. Coach has to be off the sideline. So players supposedly get penalized for it. Do you think there is anybody around the country that are saying, you know what? I'm kind of pulling for those players. They didn't do anything wrong here, and they're getting yanked back and forth with no coach on the sideline, being in the headline for the wrong reasons all the time, and they as players did nothing wrong. Do you think there are some out there that are hoping and rooting for them to run the table to, to stick it to some others? I will answer your question with a question, which is, do you feel bad for the players on other teams that maybe did not have this competitive advantage uh, because their team was not illegal scouting or at least didn't get caught doing illegal scouting and missed out on a playoff berth or lost in a rivalry game because of it. it. It's a good question, but again, it comes down to the players 
who did nothing wrong there. And I'll say this about sign stealing and talk to anybody anywhere. Everybody tries to do it. Everybody does it in some form or fashion. But what Michigan did was illegal and they should be punished for it. So I understand what you're saying. So yes, I am always a player first person. So I would feel bad for those players in that situation. Now there is an out for that. Change your signals. You should be changing them up anyway. Penn State wore wristbands. You wear wristbands, you throw everything out. You can't steal signs then because it's a wristband. All right? So you have an out to not get your sign stolen. Even if this didn't come up, Jess, I would say every game or every other game or in, in during games, you should be changing up your signals anyway from people legally trying to steal your, your, your signs. That said, yes, I always feel bad if players are at a disadvantage, just like I feel bad for these players, again, for Michigan, who have done nothing wrong and are losing their head coach on the sideline for it. So it sounds like you're more on Mike's side of this where you don't really, really feel for him. It's tough because I think generally when we talk about really arbitrary punishments in college football, they're for things like, you know, meeting a recruit when you're not supposed to or buying something for a recruit that you're not supposed to or these things that like maybe there's a slight competitive competitive advantage, but it's not something that you can actually correlate to, you know, it playing out on the field. This is something that I think a lot of coaches in the Big Ten, self-righteously or not, are saying like this has actually given them a competitive advantage. And yes, if you want to yes. look at Michigan's success prior to the sign stealing uh scouting scandal, it was not quite as right. they were not quite as dominant as they are now. And the the right. worst in fact, was the COVID year where you weren't allowed to go to games. And and so I'm, and I'm like, that's kind of a, a little conspiratorial because there's really no evidence to support that. It, that's why they stunk in 2020. But I do think that this sort of scandal uh, definitely lends itself more to understanding there is actually a on-field competitive advantage or disadvantage uh, if you're playing against Michigan. So I like, I can see why these other universities and and head coaches want there to be as an actual punishment. And and I do feel terrible for the players and it is very stupid to get caught up in your, your coach or your assistant coach or whoever at the top knew about it, doing something so sloppily that they shouldn't have been doing. But I mean, did these players benefit from it? Probably at, at yeah. some point. And maybe that meant that other more players on the other side were at a disadvantage. I, I don't think any players should get in trouble for it though. And I still think Michigan has, executed phenomenally this season. They're a very good team. They're extremely talented. They deserve to have the record that they have because of their play on the field and not just because they knew some signals going into like the uh, Rutgers game or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it is tough. I, I don't really think that I know how to uh, adjudicate this situation. I don't know what the right call is. I'm glad that that's not my job, although I would take the paycheck if it was my yes. job. It would be nice. I would buy a, a, a home somewhere. Uh, it would be great, but that's not my job. And I don't know what the right answer is, but I can see where you're coming from. It is unfair to have a stupid decision by someone on your coaching staff impact your team and your potential this season as this looks like probably one of the closest chances Michigan's actually had to competing for a national, not playing in the national championship, actually competing for a national championship. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a tough call and I'm glad I don't have to be the one to make it. So let's finish up before we move to the NFL on the Heisman and we'll break down the Michigan Ohio state game in a couple of weeks, but 
we know this. If Ohio State's going to win that game, it's going to be in large part because of Marvin Harrison Jr., the best wide receiver in the game. C.J. Stroud, his former teammate, has said the voting is rigged if Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't win the Heisman. Right now, Marvin Harrison Jr. is second in the country in receiving tight ends with 12. I think uh, fourth or fifth are in that area in receiving yards. He's the best receiver in the game. He's going to go on, you know, potentially to have an incredible career. Your Heisman winners or race right now, where do, where do you have him and who do you have up at the top? I mean, he's definitely has to be a finalist. He has to be in, in New York. Um, I just, he's seventh in yards. I'm sorry. Seventh in yards, second in touchdowns. Go ahead. Sorry. I just love Michael Penix jr. And I, I saw, I saw Jaden Daniels play again this weekend and for LSU. And I know he's getting a ton of love right now from, from the media and the season that he's having offensively. It's just like watching him play is just insane. He's so good and just creates so many opportunities uh, for LSU's offense and is fast and is smart and he is awesome. But I, Michael Penix having this season at Washington, they're undefeated right now. I think if they went out and they've got, a, they've got a couple of tough games left on their schedule, but if they yes. went out and he plays well, I would love to see him win just because of the story, just because I think narratively, like it is the kind of Heisman season that, you love to watch as a fan, like watching him come into his own and watching him after all these injuries and transferring and everything, not having the pieces to put it together year after year, have the season this year that he's having. Um, numbers wise, like he's he's probably not as up there as as Daniels right now. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I don't, I don't know. I love Michael Penix Jr. And I think it'd be great if he won great to get a, a Pac-12 Heisman winner in the in the final season of Pac-12. Uh and the second one in a row because, you know, Caleb Williams won it last year. But I don't know. Who, who do you have? I, I so, also am like, I would love to see like Bo Nix up there, even though, again, like maybe the numbers aren't as good, but he's having You'd be a, surprised. I'm, here here you go. Okay. Here you go. Jaden Daniels leads the nation with 30 touchdown passes. Second is Bo Nix with 29 touchdown passes. Third is Caleb Williams with 29. So tied for second. And then Michael Penix at 28. So they're all right so there. So close. It's so Jayden close. Dan you're just Jayden going Daniels, off of that. Jaden Daniel has four interceptions. Bo Nix has two interceptions. Penix has seven. Penix has more passing yards than all of them. And Bo Nix has the best completion percentage at 77%. So the, all their stats are very close. So you know then what it normally comes down to. Where have you taken your team, right? So I think now... Personally, I hate the award just because it's always given or 99% of the time given to a quarterback. It's a quarterback the best, award for sure. The like best Brock Bauer should be a finalist technically. The best two players, non-quarterbacks, at least that I've seen, are Brock Bowers and Marvin Harrison Jr. Brock Bowers missed a few games because of injury, came back in this last game after the tightrope surgery on his ankle. I, I, I'm with C.J. Stroud. I think Marvin Harrison, he's played them all. Brock missed a couple, as I said. Either one of those two could win the Heisman, and I wouldn't bat an eye. Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, I, so I, he should be in New York. I would hope he could win this thing. But what I think is going to happen, I think it's going to come down to, because remember, the voting is before the playoffs. It's a regular season award. The voting will happen. The votes have to be in. And my son, Mike, is a voter for this. Have to be in. I think like the first week of December, which is after the conference championship games. Jess, I think 
the winning quarterback in the Washington-Oregon Pac-12 championship game. If those two teams keep going the way they're going, I think the winner of that game, the winning quarterback of that, of that game is going to pocket the Heisman. I don't know if Jaden Daniels is going to get it because they're not going to be in the SEC championship game. He's not going to get that extra game. And the other teams, the other players' stats are close, even though Daniels does have eight rushing touchdowns as well. The guy's incredible. I think it's still going to go to a, a guy who helps lead his team to the playoffs. Uh, Oregon State is a top 15 team with a top 10 offense. So they're playing against Washington and then Oregon in the final week of the season. And things could get a little hairy because yeah, they they are not a bad team. I think they're getting a little bit like forgotten. I know their fans are, are not super happy that College Game Day is not going there this weekend. Um, and... I don't know, Mike, crazier stuff has happened in the Pac-12 before. I would not write them off, uh, write them out right now and, and set up that Pac-12 championship matchup. If you're a Jaden Daniels fan or a Marvin Harrison Jr. fan, you hope that Oregon and Washington lose. That might at least knock their quarterbacks down in the Heisman race. Uh, so we'll see. We still have a few more weeks of there. We'll get played out on the field. Let's uh, next, uh, Jess, we'll head over to the NFL where I think the – top teams that we thought were top teams are shrinking a little bit and we're finally nailing down to our few teams that we think actually have a chance that's coming like up the next. Steelers ah! all right Jess let's jump into the NFL where we talked at the beginning of the year about how deep the AFC was and how narrow the NFC was. I think the NFC has added a team, which we thought maybe would happen, and the AFC has subtracted some teams. Um, I, you know, Buffalo just losing uh, to Denver. Uh, you had Cincinnati, again, losing uh, to Houston. I mean, what, what they're doing has been incredible. Jacksonville not looking like the playoff team, even though they're leading the division uh, that they looked like last year. Overall now, I go basically Kansas City in the AFC. I don't know where else to go. It was Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincinnati, and then would Baltimore jump into the party? Cincinnati loses, Baltimore loses, Buffalo loses and look awful in that they almost won that game, minus three in the turnover, and they still almost won if not for lining up 12 guys on the field and getting a PI before that. It was an ugly, ugly game. I don't know who's competing with Kansas City anymore in the AFC. Mike, I made this joke already on the Levitard show, but can you imagine if you were a fan of a team that had the incorrect number of players on the field after a timeout on defense and then lost the game with zero yes. seconds left on the clock? Does this yeah, vindicate happened. Notre Dame, though? <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this. What's worse, Jess? You line up 10 players on the field, but you still get to run the play. And by the way, you almost stopped Ohio State from getting in the end zone with 10 guys on the field. Buffalo had 12 players on the field for a field goal block for a final kick that the kicker missed. You won the game. Yep. You won. You snatched a win from the jaws of defeat or defeat from the jaw. No, you, you grabbed defeat from the jaws of, yeah, victory. of victory. Something. Nailed it. You blew it. So you they got an it. extra yep. kick. Because of 12 men on the field. So, and now, Jess, I can't trust Buffalo. I don't know who, you know, 11, 11 interceptions we had for Josh Allen now. They turn the ball over too much. The defense isn't picking up the slack. Baltimore has a good game with Cleveland, the top two defenses, and yet both offenses scored in the 20s because you each had a defensive touchdown. And Cincinnati falls to C.J. Stroud-led team in, in Houston. So, 
I don't know from a consistent standpoint, and but we know the playoffs is one loss and you're done. But who's competing right now with Kansas City? I don't know. I don't know either. It's such a weird season, Mike. And the the way that the Buffalo game ended, because I think I think if you were on the East Coast, you might unless you're a Buffalo fan, right? You're you might have been asleep. It was pretty late. I yeah. woke up this morning and I always wake up Tuesday morning and I kind of watch the end of the game or I'll if it was an exciting finish, I'll watch it or I'll just read the, you know, the play by play and what what happened. And so I saw that uh Denver kicked a field goal to win the game. And I was like, Oh wow. Like they, that they must've had a, a pretty good drive, set up the field goal, no right. drama. And what a, what a disappointing uh, performance yeah. from, from Buffalo's defense, not being able to stop them before midfield. And then I looked and I was like, wait, the kick two. And they missed the first, like the, oh man, I can't believe that that's how Denver wins this game because now Denver somehow has beaten the chiefs and yeah. the Bills. And like you said, yes. and the Bills have been really disappointing this season. I have heard uh, Buffalo fans calling for uh, firings of head coaches, of of the offensive staff, of the defensive staff. Like, they're already declaring that the, this window has, has closed. We talked about this on the Levitard Show, too. And the door hasn't closed on Josh Allen, but the window has closed. And now you have yeah. to rebuild and open another window, Mike. That's how, how roster building works in the NFL. There's windows and doors. Uh, yes, just making you sure go. you know that, but oh, I'm with you. you. I thought like going into the season, like, oh man, the AFC East, we've got Aaron Rodgers in, in New York. You've got the dolphins high flying offense. The dolphins, you know, had a bye week this weekend. So they didn't have the opportunity to beat a team without a 500 uh, Yeah, or record. lose to a team with a 500 record or yeah. lose to a team with a 500 <laughs> record. And then I thought, you know, the Patriots, well, Bill Belichick, you know, they're at least going to be, <laughs> they'll at least be 500. No, this division stinks. I don't know yes. who's good in, in the East. And then the South, I mean, honestly, the, the, the Texans might be the team to look out for if, if you want to pick someone to beat the chiefs, I think they're like maybe punching a little bit above their weight. And like, they've had yeah, all sorts yeah. of issues. They had to win this game with a kicker that they signed like two days ago to kick the game winner against Cincinnati. But I, I don't feel good about Cincinnati. I don't feel good about Baltimore blowing a game to the Browns wow. in the last few minutes. I mean, just absolutely abysmal by them. I don't feel good about anyone. I really, I really don't. The chargers stink too. I would say this. If, Deshaun Watson was playing at least like a top 10 quarterback and he was better than that in Houston, Cleveland would be a viable candidate, right? Because they have, they have weapons on offense. Their defense is phenomenal led yeah. by miles Garrett, who may win, win defensive player of the year, but the offense just doesn't have enough traction. That would be the team. And I'm sure that was the expectations when the Haslam gave the Haslam's gave Deshaun Watson, all that money and just, you know, God brought all this controversy into it, but he's not. And he got another MRI on his ankle, so he might be hurt again. So that's kind of what's holding them back. So I, I, I and real quick, without getting too deep into the weeds for everybody, why, why Buffalo was playing zero coverage at the end of the game like that? I mean, we have seen so many teams get burned by zero coverage, no help in the back when you know a deep ball is going. You can run zero coverage and run an all-out blitz and get home right, you know, you know, with a, with a free rusher. But your quarterback knows you have a deep ball going. They can just hoist the ball up where one of a couple things is going to happen. You're going to get a reception. It's going to be an incompletion. You'll get an interception or you get a pass interference yeah. call, which is exactly what happened. 28-yard penalty, which put Denver in, uh, in field goal range. So I, I don't understand that aggressive defense. I, I get it during a game, but at the end, 
Uh, I do not get it at all. So Mike, that reminds I, I, me of speaking of like not getting a defensive play. Did you see what happened in Pittsburgh this weekend in the final play of the game with Minka Fitzpatrick on the sideline? I did not. Okay. Th- I thought this was interesting. I, and I swear I'm not just talking about the Steelers because I'm a Steelers fan, although they sure, are, they sure are not. a playoff team they are right now You're right. So them I feel in Cleveland. that yep. we can't talk about them uh, yep. same record as same record as the Dolphins you're right um, and they've beaten teams with winning records too they beat Baltimore and, and Cleveland so anywho, I'm with you Minka Fitzpatrick who's out hurt right now was next to the Steelers defensive coordinator Terrell Austin did not like the defense that the Steelers were in for the final play Green Bay had the ball with like three seconds to go I think they were at like the 25 or the 30 they needed to score a touchdown. And so they were taking a shot at the end zone at the end of the game. And Minka Fitzpatrick, apparently, this is according to uh, one of the Steelers beat writers at The Athletic, he didn't like the call, uh, the defensive call. So he started arguing with the defensive coordinator and they took a timeout, changed it. Steelers get an interception on the last play of the game to end the game. I thought that that was pretty interesting. Maybe Buffalo just needs an injured uh, all pro safety on their sideline to help call it at the end of the game. But I think that's great. I mean, anytime you see confrontation on the sideline, how, you know, there's varying degrees of confrontation. I have no problem with it because it's game day and emotions run high. So, and with a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick, listen, he has earned the right to chime in on something. He has been an excellent player and been in the league for a while. So I I like healthy conversation like that. Doesn't mean always the right decision is going to be made. And as long as when that conversation is over, everything is cool, my thought is almost anything can go with conversations on the sideline. So good on him, you know, in the way that ended. Because you're right about Pittsburgh. I mean, Pittsburgh and Cleveland right now, I mean, we've we've talked about how the whole AFC North may make the playoffs. I think two of them will. I don't think the whole division will. But right now it's Pittsburgh and Cleveland as the first two wildcard teams. And then there's one more with the rest of the teams fighting it out. The game I'm calling this week, I thought was going to be flexed. The game I'm calling Sunday <laughs> night is Minnesota at Denver. Who would have thought a couple of weeks ago Minnesota at Denver would be a game? Now I'm Denver excited. has won. Well, yeah, me too. Denver has won three in a row. The defense is playing well. The offense, I, I like some of the play calling going on, and Minnesota has won five in a. If I'm looking correctly, they've won five in a row. And the last two with Josh Dobbs, a new quarterback who has been the talk of the NFL with what he's done with that team. And they're sitting, what, still a couple of games behind Detroit, but still obviously play them some this year. So it's turned into a game I'm actually looking forward to with two teams, you know, on winning streaks and playing pretty well. Yeah, I really hope that the Josh Dobbs magic can can keep going. Remember when yeah. we'd get like those stretches of, of Fitz magic every now and then? I, I, I'm loving this. It, it's so cool to see him get credit for winning these games coming in with very limited knowledge of the playbook of the team of the players themselves of anything for the Vikings and so yeah they beat the Falcons and they beat the Saints the last two weekends uh with him starting which has been really cool to see I'm I'm actually now I will tune into this game not something I would have said four weeks ago probably not something I would have said one week ago but I will watch this game to see the Josh Dobbs magic if it can continue well, Jess, I hope you will watch the game with the sound down. With the sound down and, and Westwood listen. Westwood Radio exactly. turned up and listened to myself exactly. and Ryan Ratkin on the call. 
Thank you very much. Also, All I right, do want to say, Mike, yeah. one one thing really quickly, because yes. everyone is talking about how the Steelers have been outgained the last nine games, but they've yeah. won six of them. And it's like Mike Tomlin magic. No, this is unsustainable. We do not want no. this. You you do not. <laughs> this will not last forever. Do not think that you can actually make a deep playoff run. I mean, maybe I'll maybe I'll eat my shirt at the end of the season. I don't know. Whatever radio people say. But yeah. no, we like you. You need more offense, Pittsburgh. Please, please yeah. don't settle for being outgamed and outgained in every game. That's Not all I have sustainable. to say. About you that. you are 100% correct. All right, coming up next, F1 is going to Vegas. Everybody was going woohoo. Why that's changed to wah wah. That's next <laughs> on Colgan Smith. You know, I know you are the F1 person. I have become an F1 fan watching Drive to Survive the last few years, being into F1, getting up on Sundays and and watching it. Now, I was just in Vegas calling the Jets Raiders game where they are getting ready. This weekend is the F1 race Saturday night, late Saturday night, by the way, uh, for the F1 race. So I was there looking at the setup, talking to people. Jess, the disappointment that is being talked about for this race by the local people there, and I'm sure F1 as a whole, has been amazing. Let me take you just inside a little bit. I've seen seen where they're setting everything up. A lot of the beautification of Vegas and the Strip, like, like um, landscaping, they've torn up to, to make sure they put things out there. People are not happy about that. But most of all, workers who thought they were going to be working a ton which they probably still will be, but making incredible tips because it was going to be so crowded. And they told hotels a while ago, you're going to be packed. So everybody's jacking prices up. I've t I was staying at a hotel and I was talking to some of them about who have friends at other hotels. Hotels are basically at 30 and 40% capacity, some of these hotels. Uh -oh. Now, the ones right on the course, I'm sure, are more because you do have a lot of big spenders out there. It's definitely a rich sport. But it seems the ticket prices are just leaving people out. They don't want to make the trip. They don't want to pay the exorbitant prices at the hotels to be there for this and then, then, then pay big tickets to watch. So it is from that standpoint, before the racers or the cars even get there, it seems to have been being a disaster in Vegas, Jess. It really does. It, it's actually been like something that I've had my eye on for a while. And Spencer Hall and I host a podcast, DNF, which if you if you like Formula One, check that out. We do uh, episodes like usually the Tuesday or Wednesday after races. So we'll have one after the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Spencer will be at the race. I will not be um, for, for a number of reasons, one of which being like, I thought that this was going to cost like $5,000 when it got put on the schedule. So I was like, uh if if I want to do some traveling for Metal Arc, I don't want to. I don't want this to be the only thing that I do. So I was like, I'll sit this one out. I'll see how it goes. Maybe I'll go next year. Um, but now it looks like if I had waited and just planned it out, Mike, I could get a hotel room for like two hundred and fifty bucks, which was not the case uh, a couple weeks ago. So the ticket prices have plummeted. The hotel room prices have plummeted a lot of places. Formula One was marketing this event to people that would be willing to spend tens of thousands of dollars to go to a Formula One race and for to watch this big nighttime spectacle down the strip. And it does not seem like for whatever reason, whether it's just that not a lot of those people exist or not a lot of them are interested in going to Vegas or the timing or the fact that Max Verstappen won the driver's championship like 
months ago, like three months ago, like no one even cares anymore. Like he won, he won. Um, that's not true. I, I still am watching for the rest of the things and how they shake out, but right, if you're right. a casual fan. It's not as exciting when you already know that that guy won the race, won all the races. So I get that. I don't know if, I don't know if one of those things is the reason or all of them, or if, if it's purely just the cost. This is a race that F1 itself is promoting and putting on. A lot of other Grand Prix Grand Prix are run by uh, independent promoters, but this right. is Formula One's race. They spent $240 million to build a permanent paddock structure in Las Vegas so that they can have a permanent garage there for future races. And they're, like you said, they're shutting down the strip. They've repaved the roads. Traffic has apparently been a nightmare. There's an article in Jalopnik that Elizabeth Blackstock wrote about uh, people that Locals and tourists in Las Vegas complaining essentially about how hard it is to get around and how big of a headache this event is, and they're not happy about it. There was an article in the AP uh, this morning about yes. the race not meeting the expectations that they expected at this point. I think fans, like actual fans of the sport, are also like, this circuit looks like a pig. Like the yep. outline of the circuit looks yep. like an upside down pig. Ah. It doesn't ah. look like a good racetrack. So I think the quality of the race is something that fans are well, concerned about. There's just a lot of things that I'm very, uh, I'm anticipating yeah. uh, seeing some some shenanigans this week. What we're going to see once we even get to the race, what kind of issue we have there. But yeah, there's articles everywhere. I'm reading one that came out today. F1 apologizes to Las Vegas for Grand Prix disruption. Formula One owners and Liberty Media have apologized to Las Vegas for the last nine months Roads have been resurfaced and closed and construction has been everywhere. And it, it's been awful. It, it, now, they're saying it was supposed to bring in like $1.7 in revenue to the area. I don't know if that's going to happen. That's a big number. And if you get close to it, great. But it doesn't sound like you're going to get the crowd there that's going to bring in that kind of revenue. So we're going to wait and see, but no, we won't because I will be asleep when this race starts. This race is going to start at like 1 a.m. Eastern time yeah. Saturday yeah. and I will not see it. I will see it the next morning. I also will bet Mike as big of a cluster as this sounds right now, if you're watching it on TV, you probably won't be able to tell. It's probably going to look really cool. Maybe there will be a few hiccups in the broadcast, but it's probably going to look really cool. It's going to be at night down the strip. I think, right. I think a lot of Formula One uh, people are excited about, it, although maybe not all the drivers. Um, but they're going to make it look great on TV. And ultimately, if you're watching it at home or it's, you know taping it for the next morning, it'll probably look good at least. So that's one of the biggest things to try and suck people in is, boy, but it looked good. Yeah. But then everything around it was bad from the nine-month lead-up <laughs> to the closures that went on to the actual amount of money it brought in to the actual amount of people. And then it can look cool, Jess, but what you said earlier, this is another road race, and some of these road races, it's hard to pass. So if the if the most exciting thing is going to be the qualifying on what the grid's going to look like and who's in the front row is probably one of the people who's going to win this thing, it, it does tend – that's the one thing for me that takes some of the excitement out is – with these, some of these road courses, because it's just too hard to pass. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, I, I again, I won't see, but maybe yeah. you'll stay up and see. <laughs> no one on the East Coast is going to see, but everyone no. else will I'll see. I'll see it. 
congrats to people in Europe for getting the preferential treatment. Also, we didn't even say this, but uh, there's concerns that it, the temperature is going to be so cold that it's going to cause major issues with tires not being able to get up to temperature because Formula One usually races in a little bit of a warmer climate. They've, they've certainly had some really hot races lately, and this may be one of the coldest in history with temperatures down in the 40s. Uh, as you know, Mike, the sun sets in the desert and it gets yes. really cold this time of year. It's going to be chilly. Fans may be chilled by the experience as well. We will wait and see. That'll be nice. something, uh, you know, I thank you, uh, professional, uh, that we'll be able to talk about next week after this race. All right, Jess, let's enjoy. Let's see what else happens, mainly going back all the way full circle in college football, maybe more importantly off the field, and, and next in the Jim Harbaugh saga on if he buys a burger for somebody else and gets in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> 